Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Roland Leitenberg with me. Roland is the co-founder of Housecall. Housecall is a mobile app that connects you to a marketplace of trusted local home service professionals. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much. Great to be here. Thanks for being here, Roland. Uh, can you tell our audience uh, or give our audience an example when somebody would use house call? Yeah, sure. So when people are looking to get stuff done in their house, often uh, you know, the slang word is a honeydew list. And they're often smaller tasks that reality are, you know, you don't need to spend a lot of time to fix them, but it's enough that, you know, you don't want to really do it yourself. So uh, what ends up happening, there's this whole list of different uh, things like, um, let's say, like hang a picture, fix a window, all these types of things. And for someone to go to Google or go to Yelp or go to Angie's List to call up five different handyman to get five different prices, to get five different bids, that's usually not what someone wants to do on a Saturday and waste an entire Saturday when, you know, they're just precious time. So um, what we really did is in developing house call is, you know, solve one of our own problems, which was exactly that. Like, wouldn't it be nice if you could tap three times in a nap and get someone to come to your house? Um, and that's reality where we first started. And now we're starting to see all kinds of different people for different reasons. Just look at all the kind of pros that we have in our marketplace here um, and take a look at all their pricing, which is all upfront, which is transparency, and then book it through the app. Yeah, I mean, I, I downloaded your app and I tried it. And like you mentioned, the three click, it's it's really easy to use. And, and I think that's, especially when it comes to mobile app, mm -hmm. it has to be super easy for people to actually use it. So I really appreciated that. And I also liked that I could see how much somebody charges, you mm -hmm. know. So I looked at plumbers and I looked at I don't know how many different professionals. Um, and uh, it was really good to see all those things immediately. And the reviews, obviously, was, you know, also very helpful. So, you know, yeah. I, I did appreciate that as well. I mean, I don't know um, how many iterations did you guys go through to uh, end up with this uh, this interface? Was it uh, like this the first time around or? Uh? Oh, no. I mean, when we shipped it, when we, we, we sent it out to friends and family, it looked, you know, completely different. It was only on demand. I mean, you know, we're really kind of of the the mantra of, you know, ship early and often. And it's only until you ship and put it in the hands of real users that you get the feedback that you need to iterate on the pro on, on the product to get it to the state where it's at. So I couldn't even tell you the amount of numbers of times we've shipped the app. I mean, literally every week or every two weeks, there's a new version in the app store. And unfortunately, that has one consequence, which is every time you ship, it deletes all of your reviews off the app store. Um, oh, wow. Which yeah. Apple hasn't fixed. But, you know, in, in the end of the day, uh, the people that are using the app are all people that kind of heard it through word of mouth and some of the other advertising channels that we have. And, you know, people aren't just organically finding house call in the app store. So people are not going to the app store and going like, oh, I need a cleaning maid. And they type in, you know, cleaning maid in the app store. Like that just doesn't happen. So in reality, those reviews don't matter too much in the app store. Um, but, um, you know, there's a consequence of shipping early and often. Yeah, because uh, would you say that this kind of app you don't really search for in the App Store? Exactly, yeah. yeah. You, you don't. I mean, you don't, you know, if you download the Uber app, right, you don't go to Uber and you don't go like, I need it. You know, as as a user, 
I don't go into the app store to search, I need a taxi, you know, like you just know that, oh, your friends have used Uber. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uber's for the taxi. You just search Uber. You don't search taxi. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's the same kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, make, makes, uh, makes sense to me. So, um, when you, when you started, what did you think was missing from the market that that house call was was answering? Like you already mentioned that there are, there are other ways to to find somebody, like Angie's List, uh, mm-hmm. you know Craigslist, or you know ask your neighbor type of mm-hmm. stuff. So so mm-hmm. why did you think that this would be adopted and this was necessary in the market? Well, we thought it was necessary because you know yeah you can go on Craigslist, yeah you can go on Angie's List, but what happens is let's say for example you need to get some stuff fixed at your house. And it's probably take a handyman one hour to do it. Well, guess what? If you spend four hours to search for one handyman, right, because you're looking around or maybe even 30 minutes or even an hour, you know, look around the web, try to ask your friends, call up five different handymen, tell them your problem, ask them how much it's going to be. Imagine if you spend that time, all of a sudden your real cost of doing this job is your time, which is your opportunity cost, plus the price of the handyman. So you've at least almost doubled the cost of what you're doing. And what happens is there's all these smaller kind of tasks that just start to build up because, you know, I'm not going to waste my Saturday to do that. So the real thing that we set to figure out is like, look, all the other ways of doing this are just costing people too much time. And there's a lot of people that are now starting to do everything through a mobile app to start to, you know, book things like like an Uber, for example, or, or search for things or, you know, there's a really an app for everything. Um, it just simplifies the entire process. So we thought, hey, you know what? That difference in time, that opportunity cost, you know, if I could tell you, if you could find, so let me ask you a question. This one's probably the easiest one to do. So you can either, you have one option. You can spend 30 minutes of your time and find one handyman for $40 an hour, or you can spend two minutes of your time and you can find a handyman for $50 an hour. Which one would you pick? I would definitely pay the 50 bucks and even for the reviews I would pay an extra amount because you know when you hire somebody for the first time it's a huge risk you're going to let them into your house yep um you know you don't know who they are and so to me the reviews themselves are you know also very very uh, valuable so that's the one thing also that differentiates us is that the reviews in the app are only people that have actually paid for the services of that pro so how is that different if you go look on Yelp or if you go look on Angelus or if you go look on Google, I can go tell my five best friends to give me five stars on there, right? And all of a sudden, I look great, you know, and it's just not, not a real review. And the reverse is true as well. You can be starting a company and your competitor learns about you, and the competitor tells his five friends to write bad reviews about you, which is just not honest, not true. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're screwed. In our app, because we run everything from finding to booking to scheduling to workflow to payment, when someone has paid a pro, then they have the opportunity to rate them, and only then. So only the reviews you see on the app are people that have actually used them, which gives you much more credibility, much more transparency, and in the end, a lot more trust, which is really the crux of the whole, you know, the whole problem. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your background. Um how you know what kind of mobile background you have or or basically what is your what is your experience and um before you started house call so the original founding team we were actually the um the founding team of Qualcomm Labs inside of Qualcomm and for those of you that don't know Qualcomm Qualcomm probably makes well, I would say the majority of the chips in in all smartphones today um, or at least makes money off of it through uh, IP and patents 
Um, and so we came from doing that in Qualcomm. And inside of Qualcomm Labs, we founded another team called Gimbal. And um, if you've read anything about iBeacons and Gimbal and location technology, um, you can kind of see where that background helps in developing an app that's designed for mobile service vendors. So, you know, we kind of took that background and our learnings there and really, you know, just learn to think about how we would solve the home improvement space. Okay. Now, on your About page, I see five co-founders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I usually, you know, when I interview companies, you know, it's like maybe two co-founders or three. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't, you know, five is a little bit, uh, it's kind of a big number. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that it might be difficult to make decisions with that many co-founders or... Or yeah, is not, it not really, not at all, actually. Um, and but our situation is a little more unique. You know, we we've all worked together in the past, so we already have a working dynamic. It's not like we you know randomly found five people and we're like, all right, let's go. Um, you know, we each have our own roles and what you know we're really good at, and we know those roles because we've worked together before, and so we know which decisions to respect at what time. If it comes to product, if it comes to BD, if it comes to you know, engineering changes, we all know whose kind of role it is. So in reality, it's not. But for other startups that are just getting, you know, off the ground and trying to find co-founders is, is really difficult because, you know, you're entering in a relationship with someone that you're going to be, you know, spending way more than 80 hours a week with. Um, and, you know, if you get five random people together in a room, yeah, that could be a total headache. So, you know, every, every situation is different. But, um, you know, for us, it, it works great. So I, you know... Whenever I interview an entrepreneur with a marketplace type of business, it just it, it sounds to me so much more difficult than, than a normal I don't know if normal is the right word, but but a traditional business. You know, it's almost like sure. you have to work twice as hard. Yep. You know, uh to build a business. I mean I interviewed um, the founder of voices uh dot com and mm -hmm. you know, I mean it, they have hundreds of thousands of, of users at this point, but I mean it took them like ten years to get there. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. They made it work. I mean, companies do make it work, but how different is that compared to a traditional business where you only, it's almost like you have to sell twice yep, you for do. you to have one sale. Yep, you, you totally do. What are do. the challenges with that? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of supply and demand. So it's just economics. So when you take a look at it is, uh, and from perspective of, of our app, you know, you can't have, you know, 10,000 homeowners and 10 pros, right? That would never work. And the reverse is also true. You can't have 10,000 pros and only 10 users. So in reality, when you're building up a marketplace and the difficulty of building a marketplace is you have to kind of, you know, pump up one side a little bit and pump up the other side. So a good analogy that I like to use is kind of like climbing up a ladder, right? You can't just climb up the right side of the ladder with your right foot and your right, right arm. You kind of have to do a little bit with your left arm, right? And then you move your right arm up and then you move your right foot and then your left foot, right? And so you constantly are ratcheting up both sides. Um, and so what we do internally here is we just monitor how that's growing. And because of the way that we onboard uh, our pros, we have a huge waiting list now of all kinds of different, um, you know, service providers in different categories that are just waiting to come on the platform. And then once as we're onboarding new homeowners, um, you know, we're constraining that supply as well. That's sort of point. So it's just, you know, building the marketplace is one of those things where you kind of constantly have to monitor and ratchet it. But, you know, if you want to build a truly scalable, largely valuable um, business, the marketplace is really where it's at. You know, anyone can build 
a local regional made service with a nice front end piece, right? Like that's not really supply and demand. That's, hey, I'm going to go get customers and I'm going to go hire, you know, I'm going to hire some maids. And then I'm just going to connect the two because I control the maids. And then I just go advertise, right? Like that's much easier thing to do. But when you let people book things just one-to-one, but you don't know when people are booking, when they're doing things, that's when a true marketplace emerges and you can extract far more value and scale far greater as a marketplace than, you know, a regional plumbing business or a regional made business. So right now, when I looked in the app, I saw San Diego as uh-huh. uh, as a service area, so to speak. Are you expanding into other cities in California, or are you, are you targeting mm-hmm. maybe like mm-hmm. top five uh, metro areas, or what? What is your strategy there? Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at other kind of you know app services that are growing, you know, they go on a region by region basis or a city by city basis. Um, but for us, it's a, a little bit different in the sense that. Each professional and the way that we've built our app, so there's really two apps. You know, there's one for the homeowners that you see, which is the green one, um, and there's one that's for the professionals, which is the blue one. And each professional, they have a service radius that they usually operate in, and it generates usually from where their home is. So let's say, for example, you know, you're an electrician, and your average job size is around an $800 ticket. Well, you're willing to drive much further than, uh, you know, a maid who only has a $100 job ticket. So because of these different service radiuses, you know, even though we're in San Diego, we have a lot of professionals that are already serving the Orange County area, you know. And so when you take a look at expansion strategies, really, if you're just looking at concentric circles, uh, it becomes really easy to understand how something like this can grow organically without even really needing to, quote unquote, launch into a new city. Okay. Okay. Now, how does your app, I mean, you mentioned you have basically two apps. How how does the feedback that you, you receive from, from both providers and customers change your software? Anything surprised you in that whole process uh, that you had to make in terms of adjustments o- over time? Um, you know, we're, we're constantly getting feedback. So if you actually take a look in our app underneath every single category. So if you go on the category page, if you scroll to the bottom, it says, hey, is there a category here you'd like to see, right, feedback? Or in the job page, like, hey, is there a job you'd like to see here? Boom. Or, hey, is there a pro you'd like to see here? Or do you know a pro? You know, enter here. So we're constantly getting feedback. Um, and that all that all comes straight in through our hip chat. And then as a team, we're all able to constantly see all that different feedback. And from there, we kind of start to prioritize uh, different types of features. So really, you know, what we try to do is we try to automate out all the pain. But we only start automating things if there's a lot of pain. So it's kind of like one of those, you know, squeaky wheel gets the most grease kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And because we have, we're a startup, we have limited, you know, development time. And it's really trying to address things as they relate to growth. Um, over other things um, and still keeping the product and, the, you know, the customer satisfaction, just it's perfect record. Um, so that's really all what, what our goals are. So what do you think uh, House Call needs to do to really set itself apart from the competition? Now, you mentioned a few things about the reviews, for example. Uh, are there other things that maybe you haven't mentioned that, uh, that are real differentiators that, in your opinion, that you have to be able to do to, to really set yourself apart? Um, I mean, there's not really a lot that we're doing to try to set ourselves apart. It's just the view that we take um, – in how we can help improve the space is really how to add transparency. And when we take a look at other platforms, you know, um, you know, they might send you, um, you know, a service pro, but you don't know who's going to show up your house. You don't know when they're going to come. You don't know how much it's going to cost. So we just said, okay, let's get all the pricing up front. 
let's figure out how quickly we can get expectations aligned. So how do you how do you align those expectations? Well, you take a look. You know how quickly does the pro usually call you back? So you can see average response time in the app. You know how booked out is the pro? So you can see exactly um, you know what if the pro's uh, re like really busy, like a week booked out or a day booked out. Um, you know the pricing. You get to see the picture in there, so you can kind of think of it as like. Um, the Airbnb verified model, right? So either you can take a picture yourself or you can get an Airbnb verified home. Well, what we do is we go curate all the pros. So all the pros, you know, they, they all come in and they're all vetted and they're all curated into there. So just those pieces as we're starting to unlock, you know, things that can signal transparency, that's, that's really our, our key differentiator. And what is your process to evaluate uh, the pros before you allow them into the system? How do you vet? Uh, these professionals? I mean, there, there's lots of different ways and it's different on each service category. Um, as you can imagine, certain categories need to be licensed, other ones don't need to be licensed. So it's, it's really different on every single individual category. But when we first started building the platform, we just started asking referrals from friends, just like anyone else does it in this day. Uh, and so when we started getting momentum, you know, the kind of, you know, different professionals, they have friends as well, and they are part of different networking groups, and they just start to talk about it. And that's how we kind of expand the reach. And then typically, you know, birds of the feather flock together. And so if you're able to attract really good talent, that attracts other really good talent. And that helps making the onboarding and vetting process much easier. But you can take a look at aggregate total scores across the Internet, you know, background checks through ADP, um, all kinds of different methods that these these um, professionals are vetted. But in reality, one of the biggest signaling, you know, strategy is really, you know, a personality interview. Like, are they a personable person? Are they easy to talk to? Because in the end of the day, these are people that are coming into your house and helping you with something. And there's a high degree of trust. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we've learned, you know, over the time on, on different little things we can pick up on where we know that they'll make a, you know, really good professional in, in the app. Okay. Uh, what is your new customer acquisition strategy? We already talked about that nobody really goes to the app store to to find an application like this. So mm -hmm. so so how do you how do you get your customers? I mean, word of mouth is one way, but um what is what is your what is your strategy there? You know, actually primarily it is word of mouth. So what what's actually happening is when we first started, you know, we would we we spread it to friends and family and so we'd know all the people that were booking the app, but they started talking to their friends, so it was a second degree connection, and then they're telling their friends as a third degree connection. And you know, we're starting to see just people coming out that, you know, who knows how they've heard about us. But, you know, I think from from any viable strategy, you know, you can easily spend money online and do PPC or Facebook ad acquisition, things like that. But in reality, the way to measure the true success of, of an app um, is really the word of mouth virality coefficient. So if you're able to measure that and start to understand that, and we have a bunch of different KPIs kind of around there, that's, you know, something we, we look around or we look at constantly to try to optimize. That's really the way that that we, you know, are, are growing our, our customer base. I mean, would it even make sense financially to try to advertise for new users at this point? I mean, I don't even know what's the lifetime value of a new customer or anything like that, but mm -hmm. without breaking the bank or having a huge, you know, huge amount of money to be able to invest into that. Yeah, I mean, I'd say for any entrepreneur, I think something that, you know, has worked well for us. And if you do have a little bit of money to experiment, um, you know, try some Facebook ads, try some interesting things around custom audience and retargeting. Um, try things like AdRoll. You know, um, there's a whole bunch of different tools out there that you can kind of use to actually get a lot of bang for your buck. 
But like I said, in the end of the day, you know, you, you can spend money towards that. But in, in reality, you know, um, before Uber and like Lyft were big, you know, were they really advertising? No. You know, what did Lyft do? Oh, pink mustache. You know, you see one driving, you ask a friend, what's that pink mustache? I don't know. What's a pink mustache? Oh, it looks so silly. Oh, that's stupid. Or it's funny. You know, and that just gets people talking. So it's trying to figure out in reality, how do you get people to talk about your app? And how can you add things in your product that make it easier for people to share that? Um, easier for people to, um, you know, just start a conversation around it. Like, hey, I'm at a dinner party. Oh, who who hung that light for you? That's cool. Oh, yeah, it was this handyman. Oh, well, how'd you, where'd you find him? Oh, yeah, I got him in the house call app. You know, you should download it. Try it out. It's really easy. You know, it, it's those kind of moments that you want to kind of build. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many customers do uh, use house call today? Um, we have a lot of density in San Diego because that's our launch city, but we don't really reveal those numbers. But we have thousands of users that are active and we've that are that are booking all kinds of different pros across different categories in our in our app. And that's really the strength is the um, kind of the recurring and, and the cross mm-hmm. uh, the cross category service usage. Okay, and in terms of, do you have a percentage of, of what percentage of people that download the app actually are become active users? Um, you know, we we monitor some of those stats, but in reality, where a real business is built around is getting reoccurring numbers up. So, um, you know, a lot of people what they try to do is they try to understand the funnel from you know people downloading the app to then people registering to then people booking to then all the way down the funnel. But the problem there is, you know, uh, a lot of people think, okay, well, if, you know, I convert 25% of the customers from a download or 25% of people from a download to a customer, then if I buy 10,000 downloads, that equals, you know, 2,500 users. Like, it, that doesn't work that way, right? Like, I could go to TapJoy and spend 30 cents a download, right? But then you have kids that are, you know, using incentivized download to download other apps, which are not mm-hmm. our target users. And so those those kind of things, those metrics are, are actually, um, they can be really destructive uh, towards startups to focus on, especially in the early stage. It's a vanity metric, right? Ex- exactly. Much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... What can you do or, or what have you modified as, you, as people started downloading your app in terms of you know, trying to increase the conversion rates from download to actual you know, active customer? Is there anything that you can do or, or not really? I mean, in general, when people are booking a home service, they have like a need, right? And so if you think about how do people um, – how do people – search for something, it really happens when that comes up, right? Like, oh, my toilet's clogged. Oh, I need to go look for a plumber, right? And so it's it's difficult to, you know, just pre-download an app when there's no need. Um, so ideally, you need, you need to have some branding elements in your marketing campaigns that can uh, make it so that customers can remember you when that time of need comes up. And then those conversion numbers are really great. So it's trying to figure out those little things that really um, kind of help drive business forward. And those are some things that we're constantly learning and that we're trying in different experiments around. So it's just, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of trial and error. Okay. So how does House Call generate revenue? So because we do the entire stack, right, from finding to booking to scheduling to workflow to uh, to invoicing to payments to ratings, that whole stack, um, we just take a transaction charge. So because we're the kind of the payment platform for it, that's how we're able to monetize. So instead of, you know, the traditional web-based, you know, lead gen sites, 
um, you know, we just call it job gen. So when you get a job, you can boot through house call. We take a transaction charge, and it's just that simple. Okay. Yep. Um, how do you differentiate between vanity features and or and core features? So what's your method for finding out what features are necessary versus not necessary based on the feedback that you're getting or what you're thinking internally as a team? Um, well, I, I guess we don't really deal a lot with that because we typically take a look at what features are, are really being requested and then trying to solve the pain points. So we don't really put them in buckets like vanity features and other things. We just look at, I mean, if there's one thing that we know that we're really good at is being able to solve real world problems through just mobile software automation. So figuring out where those ones are, that's where we go towards. We don't really put something in like a vanity bucket versus a core bucket uh, that I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the, the really the best well, way to look at vanity is probably not the right word. I, I I didn't mean to use that word, but I did. So basically, what is a necessary versus an unnecessary feature? You know, because sometimes you get a request for something and you think you need to do that, but you don't really need to make that change. Sure. So how many times did that did that feature request get asked? Right. So mm -hmm. that that's how you solve that. So did one person ask you? Well, then guess what? Don't build it. Did ten people ask you? Hmm, maybe start to think about it. Did 100 people ask you? Huh, there's probably something there you should probably change, right? So it's more based upon that than it is anything else. Uh, what was a, a mistake that, that you have made or your team made that was a really good learning experience that maybe our audience could learn from? Um, hmm. You know, I think the mistakes that we have made weren't really mistakes in the sense that, you know, uh, when we first actually, so here, here's an example, you know, when we were first building out the app, we thought that everything could be on demand, right? So click a button and someone's going to be right over to your house. But what we actually started figuring out is people still aren't ready for that feature. Um, it, that feature makes sense for something like, uh, like Uber, right? Where you need to get somewhere right now all the time. You don't schedule you know, you don't schedule a limo all really far in advance. Um, you know, you used to, but now you don't need to anymore. So the way that the home services market usually works is now like people, certain categories like to have the on-demand feature, you know, like um, locksmiths are great, plumbers are great, handymen are great, but other ones like maids, you know, those are just on a schedule, you know, every two weeks they come, right? And so when we first shipped out the app, we only had the on-demand feature. So, when we started hearing, you know, requests from homeowners to say, you know, they're like, hey, I want someone to come on Saturday. I don't want someone right now. Well, you know, when we told them like, hey, well, on Saturday, just click the I want the now button. You don't have to schedule it. Just click the now button. And they just, you know, they couldn't they couldn't quite, you know, understand that, you know, how, how that would work. Um, so, you know, what, that mistake was, you know, we were building a feature a little bit too far ahead in the future. You know, I think the whole world is going to become you know, as the marketplace increases, we become more uh, liquid, um, uh, liquid supply. But um, that first feature that we had built, you know, we got a lot of feedback like, hey, we want to schedule. And even though we thought that, hey, you know, it was on demand, um, you know, that that was our first mistake. Um, we quickly learned because we shipped it early that actually they want scheduling. So now in the app, there's both. So and professionals can choose to turn it on or off um, and we leave it up to them. And that's so far has worked really good. So it kind of goes back to the core thing, which, you know, I think I started, we started the interview with is, you know, ship and iterate. 
um, that's, that's the best way to learn. Yeah. How, how do you deal with the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Uh, what advice do you have for audience or our audience about you know dealing with kind of the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur? Sure. I mean, I, I guess you know there's there's ups and downs in every part of life. I just think the life of entrepreneurs is a little more manic. You have higher ups and, and lower lows, um, and it's just you know when you take an average across there. Um, you, you're able to kind of understand, like, is that something that makes you happy? So in, in dealing with it, just understand that you're going to have just bigger upswings and, and bigger downturns and, and not have it affect you as much. Um, you know, you have your friend that nine to five job and, you know, they're always, you know, moaning about, you know, certain this or that, but you have the opportunity to have much higher highs, even though you can have times when it's, you know, it's, it's really tough. So you just have to figure out a way internally to balance that. So, you have to be really efficient with your time when you're a startup. So what do you think is a big time waster for entrepreneurs or, or maybe even in your own experience that you thought, you know, we put a lot of time into this or that, but that was really not uh, not the best way to spend our time? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an art form to understand when to say no. You know, there's an art form when, um, you know, an investor uh, is like, hey, uh, will you give me your pitch? Oh, will you meet with me? Will you fly up to San Francisco or, you know, that kind of stuff. You have to you have to understand just when to say no and to focus on your product and what you're building, because if you don't do that, you're going to find yourself doing a lot of unnecessary things. So as you kind of start to, you know, feel like your schedule is getting a little more busy, don't be afraid to say no. Like if you don't want to go grab coffee with someone, when someone asks me, oh, I want to pick your brain. No. I okay. focus on what I'm building. So that okay. that's more of the trick. And if somebody came to you and said, you know what, I, I see the success you're having with House Call. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to do something like it. You know, obviously not the same product, but just want to succeed as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What would be the first thing that you would teach that person? Uh, I think it's just about being resourceful. So, you know, if you can figure it out yourself, try to figure it out yourself because not only will you learn in the process, but then you'll learn how to do it for all kinds of different things. So, you know, the, the first step to even becoming something like this is figure out a way how to get things done without having to ask for help. But if you can't figure it out, be able to comfortable to to ask for help from the right person, which ties back in the resourcefulness. How do, how do you know who's the right person to ask for help? So that's really kind of the, the number one takeaway, I think, for you know people that are just getting started out. Sounds good. So um, tell us how. How can people find out more about House Call or connect with you? Where, where should they go to, uh, to find out more? Sure. So we've got a web page, and it's just tryhousecall.com. But the easiest way is to go to the App Store and just type in House Call and download the app. And if you want to connect to any of us, there's a little phone button right in the app. You hit that button, and it calls any of the co-founders or any of the operations people here. Um, and you can speak with any of us. So if you want to reach out, do that or be resourceful and hunt me down on AngelList or LinkedIn um, and ask to connect in a clever way um, and definitely be able to help any local San Diego people or, or people abroad as well. So everyone, check out House Call. Go to the App Store, download it, try it, tell your friends about it. Roland, thank you very much for coming on. And hopefully in a year you can come back and tell us about the success of House Call or the additional success of House Call. That sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye.